Well, I'd also like to add my welcome to Allison's. My name is Chris Majeski. I'm the pa- uh, one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to share with you from God's Word this morning as we continue on in our Hurt to Hope series. So in this series, we have been going through some difficult things in life, some talking about some challenging experiences we may face. Sometimes that's a challenging emotion. Sometimes that's a situation. Uh, and talking about how we can move from that challenging situation towards hope. Uh, talking about how God might meet us in the middle of that challenging situation and what he might do in that. And if nothing else, how we can draw near to him in the midst of that. How we can move from hurt and pain and, and hard, hard things in life to hope in Christ. And so today, as I mentioned, some of these have been about an emotion, and today we're talking about an emotion. Uh, And uh, you've seen in your bulletin there, we're talking about anger, uh, the subtitle, When Frustration Rises. I believe that God created us as emotional beings, uh, that emotions are part of the way that he designed us, uh, that it's part of the way that we experience the world, and that they can be a helpful indicator for us of what's going on in our hearts. A lot of times in the church, we've been taught to not trust our emotions or to set them aside and to instead tell ourselves the truth and what we should believe and what we should do. And while we need to make sure that we are aware of truth and, and, and keeping that out there all the time, we also can't just deny our emotions. They're part of how God created us. And there's something that we can learn from them and something that, that we can use, uh, some good that, that can come from them. And so I like to think of emotions as like gauges on the dashboard of your car, Right? So we've got these gauges, and they tell us what's going on with the vehicle. Emotions are like those gauges. They're not right or wrong. They just are. They just are emotions. They exist. And then we, we can, they can indicate to us what's going on. And so they might signal to us everything's good. Things are going well. Or those gauges on that, on that car, they may indicate something's wrong, and you need to give attention to something. And emotions may indicate to us that something's going on under the surface that we need to pay attention to, something we need to be aware of. And so in a sense then, with that, God can meet us in our emotions and he can teach us through them, he can engage with us so that we can become more like Christ if we are honest about our emotions and we we were able to to learn from them, willing to look at them and learn from them. And so with this idea of anger, the hope here, my hope in this message this morning is that we begin to transform how we view anger, that we begin to see it differently, and we begin to see how God might use it for good in our lives, moving us from the hard emotion of anger towards hope in Christ. So quick survey. Uh, here's my, my suspicion, is that if we surveyed this room and we said, is anger good or bad, uh, we would probably have more people who would say it was bad than we'd say it's good. Uh, and, and I think we probably would have a, a, a group of people who would say probably, you know, it's, it's, it's neither good nor bad, because uh, I just said the emotions are good or bad, so you would have picked up on that already. Um, but here's, here's a couple of priming questions here, just to get us thinking about this topic of anger. Have you ever been the recipient of someone's anger? No need to raise hands, but just think in your, in your have you ever been the recipient of somebody's anger, receiving it? How about this? Have you ever witnessed someone's anger and thought, well, that was really inappropriate, or that was an overreaction. I wonder what's going on with them that they've, they've responded that way. Or how about this one? Have you ever, in your anger, said or done something that you regret? So you've seen, as you look back at yourself, oh man, I blew it there. I acted inappropriately, or I said or did something now that I've got to go fix and repair that situation. So my point here is that I think this is a topic we can all relate to, Uh, anger. uh, It's it's a difficult emotion. It can be confusing. It can be challenging to deal with. 
And so I want to say this as, as I start. I'm not up here as a guy who has it all together in this area of my life. <laughs> in fact, when my, I was talking to my kids, I said, you know, Dad's teaching this morning at church. Do you know what he's teaching on? Uh, and, and they laughed when I said anger. <laughs> I don't know what to make of that, but my kids laughed when they said I was, <laughs> I said I was teaching on this topic. I'll talk about the, that later with them. Uh, but, but here's the idea. that God has done a lot of work in my life in this area. He's done a lot of work in my life in this area. And so my hope is by sharing from scripture and sharing from my experience that together we can move from the hard emotion, the difficult situations that may come up from anger towards hope and how we can more effectively and productively view anger. And I want to say this before I pray as we, as we jump in a little bit farther. I'm entirely in debt to this, this material to a ministry called The Crucible Project. It's a men's ministry I've been involved with for a number of years. Uh, many of you know I did a two-year leadership development program with them recently, and this stuff uh, has come from that. This work that has happened in my life, that God's done in this area of anger, has come from my involvement with that ministry. Excellent, it's a men's ministry, and men have some hang-ups around anger. I think that's pretty obvious, and so anyway, they've helped me with that. Uh, so let, let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll start here. Father, as we gather here as your people, uh, we are eager to hear from you. We are eager to learn from you. And we pray that you would meet us now. As we look at your word, as we look at this topic of anger, I pray that you would make our hearts soft and moldable. That you'd help our minds to be awake and alert and, and ready to learn. And Father, we pray that you would teach us. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're talking about anger, and uh, I want to get just a simple definition of anger. Uh, Again, it's probably something that we all know when we see it, right? We're aware of it. We've seen it in the world around us, but I think it's a little bit more challenging when we get down to a definition. So simple definition of anger. It's the emotion of being blocked from something you want. The emotion of being blocked from something you want. And I think of a small child who wants another cookie, and they're told no, and they experience anger because they want that thing, and they're being blocked from it. They can't have it, and so they're blocked from it. It's a simple definition of anger, and I don't think of anger, I didn't think of anger in these terms initially. I didn't think of it in these terms before, but simple definition of being blocked from something you want, and so that puts it in a category of it's not necessarily bad or good, it just is. I'm being blocked from something I want, and that experience is anger. Now, what we do with that can end up, what we do with anger could end up being a problem, and we're going to look at that a little bit more, but the simple emotion of being blocked from something you want. And so with that, then, I want to talk about an appropriate use of anger. There's a lot of inappropriate uses of anger, but if it's this thing that that God, you know, this this emotion here that God has given us, right, so that I've got to believe that there's an appropriate use of that. And and here's the appropriate use that I would say is it's a God-given energy to solve a problem, Anger is a God-given energy to solve a problem. It's fuel for us to go do something or change something. And I want to suggest to you, and here's the big idea for the morning, I want to suggest to you that God can use your anger for good. God can transform your anger to use it for good. Not that you won't be angry anymore. That's an emotion that God's created us with, right? But that you can use the God-given energy of anger to solve problems, Some of those problems are external in the world around us, but some of those problems are internal. They're things that are going on inside of us that we need to address and we need to change. So as we look at this topic, we're going to look at John chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Uh, Probably the best example of anger that we have in the Bible. Uh, And surprisingly for for some of you, it it may be surprising for some of you, this is actually Jesus here, and Jesus is angry. 
Uh, So let's look at John chapter two, verses 13 through 17. Let's read along here. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifice. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattering the money changers' coins over the floor and turning over their tables. Then, going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. So we have this picture of Jesus here. I'd say he's angry. I'd say that he's angry, and and I would say that he's appropriately angry and that he uses his anger in an appropriate way here. So understanding the situation, it says here that it's the time for the Jewish Passover celebration. That's significant because it means that, that Jerusalem would have been really crowded. It means that people would have been coming from all over to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and part of that would have been going to the temple to offer a sacrifice, which is where we find Jesus, in the temple, and he sees the scene here, and he sees that there's, there's people selling animals for sacrifice. That wouldn't have been unusual. They would have done this before, uh, the, the off, being able to, people to buy an animal to, to, do sacri- to do the sacrifice. But there's something unusual about what's going on here today. We'll, we'll, we'll see that in a second. There's people exchanging money. Uh, now, they would have had to pay, part of the worship, part of the sacrifice was paying a a temple tax, and that had to be paid in Jewish coins, and so there's a man there setting up to change the money there, exchange the money. Again, that would have happened before, that wasn't entirely unusual, but there's something unusual about what's happening here today as well, and we'll see that in a second. Uh, And so Jesus sees this scene, and he's moved to anger. And so I have to ask the question, what's he angry about? Well, he says here in, in, in verse 16, get these doves out of here, get these out of here, stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And what we have here is a picture of self-profit. We have a picture here of self-interest, of capitalizing on the the, the misfortune of others or the the, the challenge of others. There's a corrupt system set up here. See, they they had to offer a sacrifice. And and you might think, well, why wouldn't they bring their own animal in? Well, they could have. But the animal had to be inspected. And so that's not what's told here, but we know this from context and from history, is that there's an inspector that would inspect the animals. And if it wasn't a pure, spotless animal, it would be turned away. And then they'd have to purchase another animal right there. And so the system that's set up is corruption. There's the inspectors who turn away the animals, and then they're forced to buy an animal there. And they have to use certain coins, and so there's people exchanging the money. All the while, it's inflated prices. All the while, they're charging extreme amounts for these things that people are having this hardship. But if they want to honor God, if they want to offer the sacrifice, they've got to go through these hoops. And so Jesus sees this corruption, this thing that's set up to oppress people and, and, and take from them, right? And he's angry about that, but he does something about it. Verse 17, passion for my father's house will consume me. And so it tells us that the, the, the injustice that Jesus saw, the, the anger that he had, the problem that he corrected was in regard to this, this oppression that was happening, causing people to, to not be able to freely worship God, causing people to have to jump through a bunch of hoops and, 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 and taking from them in that process. And so as we look at Jesus here, as he clears out the temple, and notice it says that he made a whip and he cleared out the temple. So he took time to address his anger, make a whip, and choose to do something about it. He didn't walk in and blow up, right? 
He came in, saw the situation, took time to make a whip and make a choice of what he was going to do about that anger. Notice it also says that he used the whip to chase them out. It doesn't say that he whipped them. We don't know whether or not he did, but likely he didn't. Likely he just created this scene and whipped the animals and drove them out, right? He didn't cause harm to someone necessarily. But we see Jesus' anger here. And I think he teaches us three things I want to draw out from here. First one is that anger is not necessarily sinful. If Jesus was angry, we know Jesus was without sin. So that tells me that we can be angry and act on that anger and not move into sin. Hebrews tells us that Jesus was completely uh, human and, and, and completely God, you know, divine, and so he had this double nature right here, but he's 100% God, 100% human. He was tempted in every way that we are as, as humans, but he did not sin, which, which I apply to this situation and say if he was angry, there would have been temptation, but he overcame that temptation and, and went appropriately with his anger, moved to appropriate action, not towards sin. So it's possible to be angry and to not sin. We learn that from Jesus here. Let's look at Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. It says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Key verses about anger. I know I memorized this at one point in my life and trying to deal with anger. And, and the, what I walked away from there is I have to solve everything. I have to deal with everything. I can't be angry. I need to not, I need to, I need to not get angry. That, that's what I walked away from here with this verse. As I memorized this, I need to not get angry. I need to deal with all these things and not give the devil a foothold. And notice this, the command doesn't say don't get angry. It says, it doesn't say don't get angry, avoid it, repress it, deny that you're angry. It doesn't say that, but that's what I ended up doing. And I think that's what a lot of people in the church end up doing. The command is, don't, don't let your anger control you. Other translations, in your anger, don't sin, is how it's translated. So the idea here isn't that you shouldn't be angry, it's that anger can lead to sin, and don't do that. Don't be controlled by it. Make a choice of how you're going to respond, and a choice to do, use it appropriately, as we see Jesus did. And so, I want to suggest that there's nothing wrong with anger, but how you employ it could be a problem, could lead to problems. And I'm taking time to explain this because I think this is a key thing for us to understand. If you spent any time in the church, you, you, kind of, you may have picked up uh, that, that you know, anger isn't necessarily a thing that, that's really you know, welcomed in the church necessarily. Uh, that, that we want to be good Christians and, and, and we don't like anger. It's messy and it's hurtful, it's harmful. And, and, and if you express your anger, you realize people are uncomfortable with it real quick. That was my experience at least. We like to be nice people. And the absence of conflict must mean that things are good. The absence of conflict might mean that we're just suppressing our anger. We're not really dealing with it. There might actually be things that we need to talk about and deal with in an appropriate way, right? Jesus wasn't a nice person here. Jesus was a force to be reckoned with. He was angry and he dealt with it and he handled the situation of people being oppressed. So I want to suggest to you there are appropriate ways to express our anger, and there are inappropriate ways to express it. The, the second thing here that I see that Jesus teaches us is that anger is an injustice detector. It's an injustice detector. It's the way that God has wired us that when we see injustice, it should respond in anger. It should bring up anger in us to see people mistreated, people oppressed, people, people being uh, treated unfairly, that kind of thing, right? And I picture in this scene, Jesus surveying the scene, and he sees all that's going on, 
all that's happening here in this marketplace, and he becomes angry. He sees that there's a corrupt system that's been created here, that people are being oppressed, that there's injustice happening here. And he is moved to anger. How about you? Have you ever experienced a situation that you knew was wrong, and you had an emotion, an immediate response of anger, a gut response of anger? Not necessarily what you did with it, but can you, rec- can, you, can you relate to that idea of seeing a wrong and feeling angry? As young as I can remember, that was my experience. As young as I can remember, when I saw people cheating in games, when I felt like I wasn't, it wasn't fair, right? When things weren't happening that, that, that were appropriate, when I saw people being mistreated, that kind of thing, I experienced anger. As young as I can remember, that happened in my life. My son, uh, my older son, Josiah, he, he was a few years ago. He was uh, five, four or five years old at the time. And we were sitting around the dinner table. And my uh, older daughter, um, who was about year, two years older than him, um, she ex- described a situation that happened in school where a boy mistreated her. Uh, and my son, my four-year-old, five-year-old son, heard this story. And he clenched his jaw and he said, what that boy did makes me angry. He had an emotional response to injustice. He had an emotional response as a four-year-old boy to say, that's not right. My sister shouldn't have been treated that way, right? It's an injustice detector. We need to pay attention to what's going on there to see it, to say, hey, what, what, might, what might come from this? How might God use this for good? Anger is a natural response to injustice. We can see this in Mark chapter three, another example where we see Jesus anger, angry. Uh, We see it uh, in verses one through six. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was a Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save a life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. And then verse six, at once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. So you have this scene here with this man with this deformed hand. It's the Sabbath day. They're not supposed to, to work on the Sabbath. And so they've taken that to mean that Jesus shouldn't do any healings and that kind of thing. And the scene is set up such that they're trying to catch Jesus in a trap. And so much so that they won't even answer his question. They're waiting and watching to see what's going to happen to see if they can catch him. And Jesus, seeing that, is angry. And I want to suggest to you that Jesus isn't angry at their misunderstanding of the Sabbath that's what it says, that he, it says that he's deeply saddened by their hard hearts, right? That that's part of this whole picture going on there. What he's angry about is that they're using this man as a means to their end. That's injustice. They are using this man to try to accomplish their purpose of setting up Jesus and getting rid of Jesus. And so they've set up this scene so that they, Jesus will get caught, is their thought. So they're essentially using this man, and Jesus is angry about it. Third thing that Jesus teaches us about anger here is that it can be used to protect. It can be used to protect. That's what Jesus does here in this situation. He is protecting those who have come to worship God and are being mistreated in the process. In the, in the temple, he clears out the temple. He is protecting those who have come to truly worship God and they're being mistreated. Like a mother bear protecting her cubs 
or a lion roaring to scare off a threat. Anger can be used to protect. It's not to threat or to intimidate. It's not revengeful. It's a way of saying, I'm not moving. I'm here, and this is not okay. I will not tolerate this behavior. So send a message. You better think carefully about what you're about to do. Jesus, we see this with Jesus here in, in this situation. I saw this in my own life come up uh, a few years ago. Uh, came uh, home from church. We were on our way home from church. We, we lived at a townhouse in Palatine at the time. Um, and so we parked our van in the driveway. We all got out. Um, I had uh, my wife and then our, our three kids at the time. Uh, we've added another one since then. Uh, but we were getting out of the van. We're walking to our townhouse. And our front door faced the ma- one of the main streets in our neighborhood. Uh, people parked on that street all the time. And then we noticed, I noticed there was a minivan parked there, and there was a young man in the driver's seat, and there was an older woman in the passenger seat, and there was a lot of yelling coming from the vehicle. Their windows were down, and there was a lot of yelling going on. Um, and as we walked up uh, to the sidewalk to our, to our house, we're walking kind of semi-past this as it's out on the street, and the woman gets out of the vehicle and starts walking away. She puts her hands up, and she starts walking away. And the man got out of the vehicle as well, and he started yelling louder at her all sorts of horrible things and yelling at her even louder. And as I saw this scene, I turned back to look at my kids and my wife and I saw their eyes fixed on the situation. I saw terror. I saw fear in their eyes as they were afraid of what was going on and what was about to happen. And so I moved back close to them and helped get them in the house, putting myself between them and the situation and trying to get them into the house as quickly as I could. And then I made the choice to stand on my front step and to say to the man, you need to calm down or you need to take this somewhere else. And he started yelling at me then, of course, as you might imagine. And I, I just repeated myself again, not moving. You need to calm down or take this somewhere else. And this time I added, or I'm going to call the police. At this point, the woman had, worked, had walked back to the vehicle, got in the vehicle. Uh, they got in together, no more screaming and yelling, but sped off quickly. I uh, don't know how that situation resolved, but my goal was to take care of my family, to protect my family in that situation. And I saw how anger, I didn't go out and start a fight, but I stood my ground and said, this is not going to happen. You're not going to intimidate my family or scare my family, and so you need to take this somewhere else. I saw how anger can be used to protect. And I can see this throughout scripture as well. In the Old Testament, uh, in the book of Nehemiah, there's, there's an example of, of, of this, this way that, that we are we're shown that it's appropriate to protect ourselves. Because sometimes we get the idea, okay, Jesus said turn the other cheek, right? So I should just like, you know, lay down and take it or be a doormat, right? Sometimes that's a, that's a, mis, that's a misapplication of that, right? But I want, I want us to see that it's appropriate to protect ourselves. And that's part of why God's given us anger. And so Nehemiah chapter four, uh, Nehemiah has brought uh, the, the, uh, the Jews back to rebuild the city walls around Jerusalem. They've been uh, knocked down and, and, and down for a number of years and, and they're back now and they're rebuilding the wall and their enemies hear about this and they make plans to attack. And so Nehemiah and the Israelites are rebuilding the wall and, and here's, here's what, what happens. It says uh, in verse 14, then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of your enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And so Nehemiah is leading these people to rebuild the wall. He hears of this attack that's coming. They are all armed now. And so they're having weapons with them as they're working on the wall, ready to protect themselves if the enemy were to attack. So notice they don't go out looking for a fight. It's not about, uh, it's not about attacking or or getting revenge. It's about, we're going to stand our ground and protect 
God has given us anger to, as a protection mechanism, specifically in regard to ourselves and those under our care. So anger can be used appropriately. We see that Jesus teaches us that in his example of clearing the temple. But I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about how anger can be used inappropriately uh, because I think that's often the way it's used in our world. And so there's three ways, three main ways that I see that anger is used inappropriately. And the first one is rage. Anger used as rage. I think this is most commonly what we think of when we think of anger. When I asked if anger is good or bad, you might have flashed to a scene where, you, where somebody was raging, right? They were venting their anger, giving full vent to it. And I like to think of anger or rage as anger directed outward. I'm feeling angry and I'm just spreading it out everywhere and letting everybody know that. I'm exploding outward. It's like a fire that's burning out of control, right? It's not safe. Uh, it, it's, it's big and scary and, and, and dangerous, And the danger in rage is that you may do something that you'll regret. You may hurt someone physically or emotionally. So I want to suggest Jesus wasn't raging when he was in the temple. He made a choice to use his anger to drive them out, but he wasn't raging. A second way that we can inappropriately deal with our anger is to stuff it. Just stuff it. It's not there. Deny it. Repress it. I like to call this anger turned inward. So rage is outward, stuffing it as anger turned inward. And, and if you're good at this, if this is your technique for dealing with anger, you might think, I don't have an anger problem. I'm good at letting things go. I'm just you know, flexible and I just you know, don't let anything bother me. And, and the reality is, I would say that you think you need to reconsider that. You might actually have a problem with anger because stuffing it is no, no, it's not a better way to deal with it than rage. It's still an inappropriate way of dealing with it. Anger stuffed inward turns to resentment and bitterness. So if you say, I don't have a problem with anger, my next question would be, is there bitterness and resentment in your life? Because that's a good sign that you're stuffing your anger and not really dealing with it. And it's coming up later in other ways, in other relationships. And the danger here of stuffing it is that you become like a ticking time bomb. Who knows when you're going to explode? At some point, you can't stuff anymore. It's got to get out. Or you continue to stuff it and you become really good at it. You get better and better at holding it back and repressing it. But then you develop health concerns like anxiety and blood, high blood pressure, depression. Not that all of those are the cause of stuffed anger, but those can be, that can be part of it. It can cause health concerns, health problems. The third inappropriate way that we deal with anger is through passive-aggressive behavior. We show up passive-aggressive. And so we don't explode, we don't stuff it. It's something a little different. And passive-aggressive, I think of it as anger coming out sideways. So rage is outward, stuffing it is inward, and passive-aggressive is sideways. And so you don't deal with the anger in the moment. You experience anger. You don't deal with it in that moment. You just kind of hold on to it until later. And you, you take your moment to take a jab at that person later on. Sometimes they don't even know what's, what it's about anymore because it's been a while since that situation happened. And so it shows up sometimes in sarcasm. Have you ever been around somebody who uses sarcasm a lot, but you're like, ooh, that stings. That was pretty harsh, right? And they're like, oh, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. It's just, just playing around, right? But you know there's something, there's something truthful behind what they're saying. There's something beneath that that's, diff- that's not just a joke. It could be that they're coming out passive-aggressive there. Their anger is coming out passive-aggressive. Another way that it shows up uh, in this way is, is, is punishing that person later. 
finding a way to withhold them or, or, pay, or get payback on them later. So you hold it in the moment, you don't stuff it, but you, you plot your plan of how you can get a jab at that person later. The dangerous part of this is that it's confusing. I mean, they didn't deal with it in the moment and then later on they're angry at you and, and, and you may have no idea why they're angry. It can be confusing in relationships, right? And it's damaging, it's harmful. When you take a shot at somebody like that, that erodes trust. When you're passive aggressive, withhold things over people, it, it creates this power dynamic where they're like, I don't, I don't, again, it erodes trust. It's dangerous, it can be hurtful to relationships. And so three different ways that we can inappropriately deal with our anger. And I want to suggest that we need to learn to release our anger under control. That instead of going to these things, the better way, the appropriate way, what we saw Jesus do is to release anger under control. And there's four steps that I have to deal with that. Four steps to appropriately deal with anger. The first one is to stop. Pause. Don't react in the moment and and just go, you fly off the handle kind of thing. Stop. Pause. And I know immediately some of you are thinking, yeah, right. (laughs) Can you imagine? I can't do that. I think you can. I think you can. And here's why I think you can. Imagine you're in an argument with your spouse or with somebody close, a family member, something like that. And somebody important shows up at your door, rings your doorbell. I bet you shut off that conversation, that anger, and you go and you answer the door and you deal with that situation there. It's not that you're not angry at that person anymore. I'm not saying don't be angry at that person. I'm saying you can't control it. You can start and stop it. You can shut it off. So stop for a second. Just pause. Don't let it run away. Put it on hold. The second step is to identify the emotion. Give voice to what you're feeling. Say, I'm feeling angry. Man, for some of us, that's, the, that's a huge step to even just be honest that we're feeling angry. But also to be able to slow down in that moment to say, instead of just reacting and just you know, doing whatever comes up, I'm gonna take a step and say, what am I feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling angry. There might be other emotions there. I'm sad or I'm scared or something like that, but I'm angry, identify that. And don't downplay it. Here's, a, here's another, another part of that. Is a lot of times we say, well, I'm a little angry. Well, why do you feel the need to quantify it? Just say you're angry. That doesn't have to be huge anger or little anger, just I'm angry, I'm feeling angry. This is internal, you're dealing with it yourself. So be honest with yourself and just say you're feeling angry. Honor that emotion. That can go a long way towards appropriately handling the emotion. The third step is to examine your heart. So get at why you're angry. Remember, Anger, simple definition, being blocked from something you want. And so look at yourself. Is there something going on that you feel blocked from? Is there something going on where you, some way that you feel wronged or mistreated? Remember that injustice detector. So looking at yourself and saying, what is going on? Why am I feeling angry? Not in, not in I shouldn't feel angry, but examining, why do I feel angry? You get to the heart of that. And, and this may take some practice to figure that out, to unearth that for yourself, but you know you've got it when you're using I statements. A lot of times we look at our anger and we say, you did this and you did that and you meant this and you said this instead of I felt this way. When I heard this, I felt this. Or I feel angry because I feel blocked from security that I want or something else, whatever it is, right, that you're looking for. When you're using I statements, you're on the right track. The fourth step is to choose a response. 
You've looked at, you've you've stopped, you've recognized that you're feeling angry, you you understand why you're feeling angry, and now you can choose what to do with it, just like Jesus did in in the situation in the temple. So steps one through three, those, those first three steps revealed that there's really an issue that needs to be dealt with, then take the necessary step. It might mean that you need to have a conversation with somebody. There was an expectation that they didn't meet. There was a commitment that you had together, they didn't meet it, and you need to have the conversation about what happened there, and if it's gonna get done or not and what we, you know, how you can be okay in the situation, what needs to happen here to fix the situation. It might mean that somebody mistreated you or talked to you in a way that you didn't appreciate, and the conversation is, I don't appreciate how you spoke to me there. I'd appreciate if you treat me with more respect, right? You have a conversation. But because you've done one through three, you can handle that more cleanly and clearly than blowing up and saying, don't treat me like that, right? You, you, you can handle it differently. Now, if steps one through three reveal that really the problem isn't out there, but the problem's in here, something going on inside of you, now you've got, something, now you've got some stuff to look at there. So it might be that you're, je- you're, you're angry because you're jealous of a situation. A coworker got a promotion that you didn't. Now, it wouldn't be appropriate for you to be angry at that coworker necessarily, but you recognize their jealousy here. And God, help me deal with this jealousy and what's going on there. Help me to look at that part of my life and how I can grow through that. It might be that you had an unfair expectation of this person. As you slow down and think of it, you you realize, hey, we had a commitment here. I thought this was gonna be done here, but that was never clearly communicated. And so I understand that it wasn't done because I didn't clearly communicate there. And so because you've slowed down, you can recognize, hey, I need to do a better job of communicating here. Or I need to talk to this person about what's going on here in this situation, right? You, you, You recognize something in yourself. Maybe it was a conclusion that you jumped to about that person and their intent. You thought they were doing one thing, but as you slowed down, you recognized, oh wow, that statement could have been taken different ways. I could see how they might have meant it differently than I took it, right? So you've been able to see in yourself that there's something going on. I think God can use our anger to get our attention to fix issues inside of us. How we can use anger in a helpful way to to, to unearth things that might be out of priority in our lives, things that might be inappropriate, things that we might be looking at for fulfillment that really aren't the greatest good, right? I think of us looking for approval from others. And if we feel slighted or disrespected, then we're gonna act in anger. When instead of finding our acceptance and our love from God, who will, that will never change, that will never, never, uh, never be different, right? So we can look to him for that instead of others. So anger, can be used productively. And I've shown four steps to how to deal with that. Let me walk through that example, that man out in front of my house, and you can see it in action again, how I went through these steps, because it was real fast for me, but you can see quickly how it happened. I stopped. I saw that man, this anger situation. I saw my family. I saw what's going on. I stopped. I didn't run up to him and start a fight. I didn't get in his face and say, get out of here, right? That wouldn't have ended well. I don't think that would have ended well at all, right? But I stopped, and I saw what's going on. And then I identified the emotion. I'm feeling angry. Uh, And I remember I could feel that in my body as the tension rose. As I saw my kids scared, I thought, this is not happening. You're not going to intimidate my kids or scare my kids here. I felt it in my body. I examined my heart and determined why I'm angry. Well, this man's actions were scaring my wife and kids. And he was creating an unsafe environment for them. So I recognize this is why I'm angry and I want to change that situation. I'm going to use my God-given energy to solve a problem and I'm going to do something about it. So I chose a response. And my goal was to protect my family. 
not to stop this man from what he's doing here. My first priority was to protect my family. And so I told him, calm down or get out of here, or I'm going to call the police. And my body language and my voice communicated, this enough is enough. You need to move on, right? I'm not going to tolerate this. So you can see how anger can be used appropriately. You can see how anger can be used as a God-given energy to solve a problem. And so my hope this morning is that through our time together, your perspective on anger has changed some. That you've begun to move from hurt to hope. That you've begun to see how God can use your anger to solve problems in the world. Some of those in the world around us as we see injustice and some of those internal as we look at our own heart condition.